0: This is Hal Hester, Lead Pastor of Vine Life, and this is our podcast, The Empowered Word. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective on what God is doing in your life. Please enjoy the message. Good morning. Hope you are all doing well. Good to see you this morning. Good to see a couple of faces I'm seeing that I haven't seen in a while. Yay! Just made me feel really good all right well today we are continuing our series in mark and uh we're in mark chapter 5 uh and you know want to remind you of a few things from the onset uh you know we've been kind of reminding us every week uh one because not everybody's here every week and two this might be your first time here and so i just want to give you a few little clues little hints along the way that might be instructive for you As we dig into the Gospel of Mark, Uh, you know every gospel is written a little different in terms of its order, and sometimes that is something that kind of you know bothers people. Uh, But there is a specific reason that we have four gospels, and each one is put together in a little bit different order. Is that there is something that the gospel writer is telling us beyond just simply the biography of Jesus. Otherwise, there's really no need for multiple biographies. That There could just be one, and it would be the, you know, the formal declarative statement of what happened. Uh, but there is a purpose in writing multiple accounts, specifically, and that there are things that are occurring. There are events that recur uh, repeatedly throughout the life of Jesus. Uh, some of the healings look very similar but actually are different healings there's different points that Jesus makes using the same uh, story uh, multiple times and so sometimes the emphasis is different because Jesus uh, spoke multiple times not just that one time not just you know uh, and as he continued to share that message uh, then there's a different aspect that is brought out and so when the biography biographers are writing They, too, are writing with a specific uh, thing that they want to bring out. uh, They're writing to a specific audience. In the case of Mark, we're talking primarily about a Gentile audience that would not have been familiar with a lot of the Old Testament texts. And so there is a narrowing down, a quickening of the story that is different than the other text. Um, And so that all is very important to uh, Mark in the way that it is written, why it doesn't get into a lot of details in terms of Uh, his genealogy and history that would mean nothing to a Gentile audience. Uh, It's why it begins right with his ministry and doesn't go into elaborating on some of those other things, um, because of who the audience is. It's also important to point out that Mark is, uh, you know, not only uh, starts right with the declaration of Isaiah, but it does so in a very veiled way. And so, hence the name of the series, the, you know, uh, uh, Unveiled Mysteries, that specifically throughout the text, there is this hint at this great mystery, which is that Jesus is the son of god but it's hinted at in the beginning uh you know I, I kind of already spoiled the plot for you but uh you know the the unveiling happens throughout the series of the story the events are put together in such a way to help you and i walk through that and to get this revelation of who jesus is but not in a just upfront upfront kind of declarative kind of way and then try to prove itself uh, as we go along but instead there is this hints that begin to unfold and we see a little more and we little a little more and you and i instead are drawn into the story of who jesus is what he's doing and that we come to the conclusion by the end of the book oh my just as the roman soldier will make the declaration truly this man was the son of god it's it's a, a way of revealing and telling the story that draws us in now, also critical to Mark is the understanding of the focus on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is both present and still yet to come in its fullest re- revelation. That's the place that you and I live, in the sense of which that there is the expectation, the, not only through the life and the ministry of Jesus, but through His disciples, through uh, His people, the, the, the church. Uh, there's a, a continued uh, expectation that there is the presence of God at work in His world, in us and through us, and yet we are longing for that day in which the kingdom will overtake the world and there will be His ultimate and final return now i want to remind you as we jump into chapter 5 today that chapter 4 ended with uh, talking about us not only the the stumbling block of the cross but the stumbling block of the kingdom itself because this kingdom is unlike the kingdoms of men It, it is so radically different in nature that there is nothing to compare in the kingdoms of this world. Instead, uh, he points to other things. The imagery of the kingdom is drawn from other things in life uh, where God is at work in his world, but it's not drawn from the kingdoms of men unless it's to contrast it with the kingdoms of men, pointing out that it is in every way inherently, completely, and utterly different than anything that man has tried to put together in terms of a A kingdom and then it ends the chapter with this whole thing of Jesus commanding the wind and the waves and we are left with the question do you trust me where is your faith and what have you put your faith and so we are led then uh, from that question now into chapter 5 where we're beginning to build our understanding of whom they have put their faith in whom we are asked to put our faith in so as we look at chapter 5 we see the kingdom of God coming in greater conflict with the powers of this world so we're, we're building on that whole thing it's not only different but it is coming into conflict those conflicts are in this chapter deliverance healing and raising the dead revealing to us just who has come what his kingdom is like in contrast to the kingdoms of the world And we have a lot to cover, so I'm going to just jump in right there. Mark chapter 5, beginning of verse 1. If you want to use your phone or tablet, please set that to silent. I'm going to read it from the English Standard. Please follow along whatever translation you have. The one in your lap, of course, my favorite. Let's take Mark chapter 5, beginning of verse 1, and we read these words. And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, "'Send us to the pigs, let us enter them.' So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, and they rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what had, been, what had happened, and when they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, they were afraid. And those who had, been, had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. He did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat on the other side, a great crowd gathered with him, and he was beside the sea. And they came out, one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may live and be well and live. And he went with him. A great crowd followed them, and a thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much. Uh, under many physicians and spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when they entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they immediately were overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Blessed be the reading of God's holy word. All right, so there are three major encounters in this text. First, the conflict with Legion in the region of the Gerasenes. Can we pull up the map? Is it working? Let's see if it works. It's not very clear, is it? All right. So I was hoping it would. We've had some problems with these maps. All right, right up here is the Sea of Galilee. You can see the little red arch uh, there is showing some of the travels of Jesus. Uh, Over here where it ends on the right is kind of the the northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And that region on that side of the Sea of Galilee is what's known as the Decapolis, also known as the Gerasenes. And so, uh, if you uh, look, you know, like in your maps in the back of your Bible or something like that, or you look up Decapolis, Sea of Galilee, things like that, uh, this area is kind of an interesting area uh, that um, it was a, a very disputed area. It still is today. Uh, it's one of the areas uh, that uh, the battle in 1967, what you now call the Golan Heights. So, still a disputed area of Israel. It was disputed back then in the time uh, when uh, Israel was best known, even then, as Palestine because that's what the Romans named it. They were trying to subdue Israel, didn't want Israel to, you know, they were working against their kind of nationalism, and so they renamed the area Palestine. That's why we have that conflict all the time about is it Israel, is it Palestine? It goes back thousands of years. That's not a new battle. Uh, the Romans did that, they were very intentional in doing that, uh, in calling the area Palestine. But the Decapolis, it's called that because Deca, ten, ten cities. There are ten cities in that region and so, and so there are Syrian people today, the Syrians still claim that area. Uh, there were different uh, uh, you know, people groups that were all flooding in that area and so it was a region that was very diverse and at one time had been under the the rule of Israel other times wasn't in this particular time uh, it was being governed by the same uh, governor uh, but again under Roman authority not under Jewish authority and so it was a very mixed area lots of Jews in that area but not completely Jewish And so uh, it had a a whole different vibe. Uh, If you ever watch The Chosen, uh, there's a lot that they'll talk about the Decapolis. It comes up a lot and about how they were there preaching to the Jews, but then it caused all kinds of turmoil. That area was filled with turmoil during this time, politically, socially, and religiously. And so there was constant conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles in that region. Very interesting that Jesus spent so much time there when you consider the situation. Now, um, kind of lost my place for a second. So uh, we have that first, you know, whole thing, that, that Gentile region. And then we have the other two events one kind of seemingly stuck inside the other. That's so common in Mark, and you'll find this out as we go along through the next uh, six chapters or so, that it's called a Markin' sandwich because Mark takes one story and another story that have a lot to do with one another, have a, lot, a similar vibe, a similar story to tell, and he'll put one story inside of the other. As you encounter those Stories, sometimes in other Gospels, they are a little more separated, uh, even though they occurred around the same time. Uh, but here in Mark, he really seems to like stick one, si- one story inside of the other so that you are getting this, this whole thing. It just permeates as he's driving home the point that he is making. Uh, and so we have the woman with the issue of blood sandwiched inside the resurrection of Jairus' daughter. Now... Um, Usually, you know, when you and I come into a context uh, and we are reading it, uh, we have a way of kind of, you know, socially... Uh, regarding some things as either having to do with God or having a a way to do with men. We tend to think highly in Western cultures between secular and sacred. There is no such division in the scripture. It doesn't exist. It's just a construct of uh, the Western imagination out there because everything in the all you know the the fullness of the earth and everything therein belongs to him he's the author and the creator of all those things there is no such thing as that secular and this is sacred that's just something that we do in order to manage things so that we can justify not bringing God into everything uh, and, uh, and, and unfortunately it also tends to permeate the Christian mindset as well, and so then we just buy that, and we go, well, this is church, and this is work, and this is my real life, and this is my church life. I know you didn't ever say that, but you know other people think like that, and so um, the the so in this whole thing, we have this uh, reality of the kingdom of God being not like anything of the kingdoms of this world. So when we say the kingdom of God and the king, you know, or we talk about uh, the, the other kingdoms. What we usually think in that then is simply the kingdoms of men. But of course, when we say that the kingdom of God is not like other kingdoms, that also includes the kingdom of darkness, which is where the kingdoms of men get their power. So the same tactics, threats, abuse, coercion manipulation fear the use of oppression to rule that steals life rather than while giving while promising life but actually steals life that's the kingdom of darkness and then we see it manifest in the kingdoms of men because that's what the kingdoms of men do the kingdoms of men cannot give life you know i don't want to sound un unpatriotic but I will warn you even still like our kingdom the United States uses the same coercion the same tactics we may manage it better and we may behave better but it does not give eternal life it cannot give you the life of the kingdom no no matter who's in office it's sometimes important to remind ourselves that because it's easy to get swept into you know, a patriotism that takes over our faith. And we don't want to do that. We want our patriotism to serve our faith sometimes, right? You know, we. we in fact, uh, uh, I think it's important that as people of faith uh, and we are given the opportunity to vote and to do other things or to legislate, maybe you're a peace officer, maybe you're a judge or whatever else, and uh, hopefully you take who you are in Christ into all of that one would hope but the reality is is that you and I have to remember that the kingdoms of men cannot give life and that their powers and authorities ultimately do not reflect the kingdom of God the kingdom of God brings life freedom hope even in times of correction, the kingdom of God sets people free, gives life, restores health, it brings wholeness. Even in the, the times where we read like in Jeremiah 29 and the whole you know thing of judgment is coming down around the people of God. And he says, I want to tell you that I still have a hope and a future for you if you will just repent, if you would just come to me. Uh, there is always the declaration that God wants it to be different and better for us that we ourselves must be given to it. Part of what makes it attractive, then, the, the, the gospel of the kingdom is simply this. In spite of the call to repent and sin no more, it's still attractive. Let's be honest. The call, when I say repent and sin no more, it's not in itself all that attractive. I mean, if it was, then everybody would stop sinning, right? Anybody here, you've just absolutely... No, don't, don't answer that one. James is really careful when it says that Moses, rather than being known as the son of of Pharaoh's daughter and enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season, right? the scripture is telling us the straight up. The reason people do that, the reason people sin is that for the moment it gives them what they want. It's short, but it gives them what they want. There is nothing particularly attractive about the call to repent and sin no more except that, that it is the, an entranceway into the personhood of Christ and me living with Him and then recognizing the overflowing, life-giving aspects of the kingdom that are so much more than the kingdoms of men. When there is a way of escape, when there is a real alternative to an existence that I am suffering, one that's full of life, and someone says, don't go that way, come this way, that's when it becomes an invitation. But just telling people that you know, they need to repent isn't particularly attractive. It's why billboards don't work. We don't advertise our way into the kingdom of God. If you just tell people they're headed to hell, listen, they already know that. They're living it. When I was in darkness, nobody had to tell me I was in darkness. I was living it. Hello? But when you tell people I have good news and to access it, you're going to have to turn loose of the old way of life that was no life at all and embrace the new manner of life It's it's not an add-on, it's not a program, it's a wholesale new way of life. Let me show you, That's, that's what Jesus came to do, to show us the way, to show us the new manner of life, to show us his kingdom. And so when the disciples said to him, show us the kingdom and it will be enough, Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time? And you still say, show us the kingdom. See, His point was that the embodiment of the kingdom is him. When we get Jesus, we get the kingdom. When we get the Holy Spirit, we get the power of the kingdom. When we get the power of transformation, the power to live the kingdom, we have only to access what we already have. So, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn away from the old life. Embrace the new way of life. Not just repenting of sins, repenting of the old manner of life, its attitudes, its behaviors, its power brokering. So, first encounter, legion. Many demons in one body. This Gentile man is so tormented. And these demons are so in control of him that he even goes running toward what would otherwise seemingly be you know, just a stranger coming down the hill. Unlike other demoniacs in the New Testament, there's no family to bring him. When you and I are going through the Gospels, most of the situations, like my son, there's this demon that's tormenting him and it throws him into the fire and, and the father is concerned, there's this, this embrace that's around him, this, there's some kind of support system. In this case, there's no family to bring him. He is living like an animal. And when Jesus is confronted by the demons, they know immediately who Jesus was. Now, let me kind of give you a side note to ministry. It is important to note that Jesus had to tell Legion to come out more than once. The rebellion of Legion is blatant. All while demanding that Jesus play by the rules that they did not follow. Hmm, that almost sounds familiar to other things I've encountered in life of you. He says, Do not torment us before it is time while in in open, unapologetic rebellion. And I remind myself of this every time I'm confronting the demonic. Can I just tell you, in nearly 30 years of dealing with demonic, I expect the demonic to bay, but I have, you know, numerous times over the years seen open rebellion. And I remember the first time it happened, I was rattled. Like, why didn't that respond what's going on here and the demon knew it and quickly challenged my faith thankfully there was a more mature pastor with me at the time who handled everything very quickly and then afterwards he assured me he goes you know what that was not a lack of faith on your part the demon saw the surprise on your face that you he didn't respond and tried to use that moment to escape by tricking you. Imagine that, that a demon might lie to you. Nonetheless, the demon obeyed Jesus, right? But he did challenge his authority by refusing. But he couldn't resist him. But when the man got free, note two things. Number one, first he wanted to go with Jesus. But jesus sent him home and second that those in the region wanted jesus to leave i think that's instructive to us on several points one not every disciple or follower of jesus is called to be an apostle right i just think that's instructive for us because uh, you know oftentimes there is a sense in which again we divide the secular and the sacred and we somehow think that doing my job as a, you know, a, a, a baker, a candlestick maker, you know, a plumber or a postman or whatever is somehow less sacred, less holy than say preaching or becoming a missionary uh, full time or something like that. And I just really wanna to emphasize to you that that is really the work of Satan to convince you that. Like whatever it is that you are doing Unless it is ungodly, okay. I'm no no pole stripping for Jesus, okay. But but listen, seriously, like if you are doing good, whether it's making widgets or serving people or whatever else, like that is a gateway to sharing the gospel with people in a way that I will never be able to. I've told you this story many a times. You're probably tired of hearing it, but I, I just I think it's instructive, right? If I, if I get on an airplane and I want to be left alone because I'm tired or cranky or whatever, it's really easy. All I have to do is I, have to just, I just tell them, what do you do for a living? And they say, oh, I'm, you know, whatever. And they go, what do you do? And I go, I'm a preacher. And then nobody talks to me the rest of the flight. If I'm really cranky, I could say, I'm a I'm a TV evangelist. <laughs> do we do use a video camera. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to talk to you then, except once in a great while, but you, you can usually get the vibe off of them beforehand. You know, it's kind of weird. Anyhow, you but most people just go, oh, and then they turn away from you. You know, they cross their legs, that whole body posture changes. Leave me alone. Great. I wanted to take a nap. Forgive me, Lord. So and nonetheless, I, the the reality is is that your ability in, in doing everyday, you're you're you know considered normal people, unlike me. And so, uh, the, the reality is that every place that you set your foot, every relationship, like. You know, that's what Psalm 23 is talking about, in that whole sense of that wherever I go, that you have you've prepared the right way for me, that in that in my going, right, that there is the opportunity to see God move and to believe that He is in the midst of all of those conversations, that God is not taken by surprise. And even if my path should lead me into the dangerous places, into the into the valleys, into the shadow of death, like I have no fear because I'm confident that you're with me, that you're in the middle of that. Whatever the circumstance, whatever, however it's unfolding, I just have this confidence in what God is doing. And we see that you know, in the lives of the apostles as they trust God, even in the midst of being warned that they're about to head into a dangerous situation. They didn't go, well, gee, maybe I should get out of that one. Right? Paul didn't say to the prophet, when the prophet said, whoever owns this belt is going to be bound like this, he didn't say, well, that means I shouldn't go to Jerusalem. He said, well, I, you know... I appreciate that and please be praying for me as I go into the valley and so we have this confidence the picture being that you and I everything we do is sacred and we enter into that space your workspace in particular is your that's that that's your occupation but your vocation your calling is to be the people of God in the midst of that situation so not every disciple is called to drop their nets and to follow but we are called to follow every disciple is called upon to tell their friends their family their neighbors about what the good things that God has done for them second not everyone is happy when the kingdom of God comes I know you think that if people could just see a few miracles they would believe can I just remind you the scripture tells us differently some of the most ardent unbelievers were first-hand witnesses. Right? Judas did miracles. Hello? Not everyone who sees follow, not everyone is happy when people get healed, delivered, set free, not even your relatives. Now here's another thing that you and I must not miss. As I said, Mark is a great storyteller, and the region of the Decapolis, as I pointed out, has been debated over and over again. You know, whether we're talking about now calling it the Golan Heights or whether we're, you know, talking about, you know, in the time of Rome. In Mark's day, one of the issues under Roman rule was that everywhere the Romans went were the Roman legions whom the Jews described as pigs. Common in Jewish literature and writings from the time to know that that the Romans themselves were thought of as pigs, but especially the legions. And how did they come there? They came to Israel over the Mediterranean Sea. And it was a common slogan about chasing the Romans back into the sea, that they thought the Messiah would chase the Romans back into the sea. So in this deliverance, we have this man is coming out of the tombs, a place that is unclean, and then he is made clean, he's restored. It's a a picture of Messiah overthrowing the powers of this world that not only oppress Israel, but also the very Gentile people of the Decapolis. Jesus takes down the legions and sends those pigs back into the sea. Kind of cool, isn't it, when you think about it like that? Which from a literary standpoint, I mean, it's like this hidden gem in the story. It doesn't change the story. It's driving home the point He is the one who is able to overcome. His kingdom is unlike the kingdoms of this world. And when his kingdom comes, it's not only good news for the Jews, but it's also good news for the Gentiles. And then he makes the point even more so as we go into the next two healings. They're deeply intertwined. In the next two healings, we have a 12-year-old girl and a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. That's interesting, isn't it? 12 and 12. And what is 12 symbolic of? Israel. The number 12 always points to Israel. Even the 12 apostles pointed to Israel. 12 is so symbolic because of the 12 tribes. Now, these two women becomes symbolic of Israel, even as the man is symbolic of the Gentiles and the demons are symbolic of Rome. And in both both these women, the issue of blood and the little girl, there was deep shame tied to these things. There were social restraints that would keep them from getting to Jesus. For the woman with the issue of blood it's very clear that she wasn't supposed to be out in public. She certainly wasn't supposed to touch anyone. And so how do you, in the midst of a a deep issue of shame like that and being restrained, how do you even get to a place of getting healed? How do you even get to the place of asking, right? And so it becomes kind of like this unsolvable puzzle. A friend of mine a few years back uh, was talking about he was working on a road crew while he was going to seminary. And, uh, you know, he was working in Missouri. It was hot in the summertime. And uh, in the process of working on this road crew, like a whole bunch of hot tar got splashed on his shirt. And he had to rip his shirt off to keep from getting burned. Now he had this big red spot on him where it had kind of burned him. It's hot outside. He's standing outside in the sun and it's still pretty early in the morning. And by the time the sun peaks at lunchtime, he is dying. Now the hot stuff is splashing up on him and he doesn't know what to do. So he gets in his truck and he drives down to a Kmart. Anybody remember Kmart? Like there's some people in the room going, What's a Kmart? So so he drives down to kmart and he gets there to the door and he is stopped at the door because the sign says what no shirt he's like well i've got pencil on you know didn't that count for anything no shirt no service he explains to the person at the door yes but i I, it's because i have no shirt i need a shirt and he even like pulls out his wallet and shows them the money and says look I will give you money if you will just go get me any shirt. I just need a t-shirt, anything. And they sat there and argued with him, and nobody would help him. And he said, it was the unsolvable puzzle, you know, like, what's wrong with you? Don't you see? I have no shirt. I want a shirt. Why won't you at least just take my money and go get me? Look, I'll put extra money. You get a nice big fat tip. Just go get me a shirt. Nobody would get him a shirt. He said, you know, that's oftentimes like how we treat people like in the church, right? We, we make this unsolvable puzzle. you got to get cleaned up before you come to church. What do you need to get cleaned up? You need the power of the Holy and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then we just shut those people out. Where, where are they going to find healing? Where are they going to find hope if we shut them all out? She was shut out. And so she does something that socially is completely unacceptable. And in a real sense, she's breaking with the law. She presses in, breaking all the purity laws. Then there's the a- aspect of Jairus. Jairus, when you're in his social position, what a chance to take. Everyone around you is already questioning what Jesus is doing, but you're, you're in the, the religious leader's circle. Remember, even Nicodemus came and met him at night, Right? afraid of the social castigation Uh, that there's we even we have Joseph of Arimathea at the end like when he voted to not to uh, you know have Jesus crucified he still had to come under the darkness of night to retrieve the body of Jesus so much social pressure shame Here they are in the middle of all of this. How does he break free and step out of all social norms knowing that he could lose his position, his livelihood? Desperation. What drove her to do what she did? Desperation. What likely drove the man down to Jesus in that moment when the demons didn't want him to go anywhere near desperation, right? There's this longing for uh, deliverance. There's this longing for healing. There's this longing for the life that is not trapped in a living hell. Ever been trapped in that life, the living hell? You realize if it failed that she could have been stoned for breaking the law? coming among others the way she did in such a defiant way. If Jairus' daughter had died, he would have lost everything in addition to the grief loss. In both cases, Jesus commends them for their faith, a faith born in desperation. Can I point out that in all three accounts, there is an issue of uncleanliness. The man was a Gentile, unclean. Lived among the dead in the cemetery. Unclean. Represented everything the Jews thought of as unclean. Got an unclean spirit. Unclean, 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 unclean. Next, a woman in perpetual cycle. Unclean. She's a Jew, but she's suffering from the same thing the Gentile is suffering from. Jairus. Even though he's a religious leader, guess what? He's suffering from the same thing. You see, nobody escapes. Religious and non religious, Jew and Gentile, all of us are under the same curse, the same problem. Uh, that's where Paul is trying to drive the point home, right? In Romans uh, chapter 5, when he says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, he's trying to drive home the point. You are not any better. You're not better because of something about you by your birthright, by going to church, or whatever else. You're not any better. We all have the same need of deliverance. And the point being what? That Jesus touched the unclean every time. The clean became unclean so that they might be clean. The one who was truly clean became defiled by what defiles men so they could be clean. Both Jew and Gentile, the same uncleanliness, the same oppression, but the same cure and the same one to rescue. See, this gospel, this good news of the kingdom is that Yahweh, the great I Am, has come, and He is bringing heaven and earth together under one banner where we will live and reign forever and ever, and the kingdom shall have no end, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. And under His banner there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no pain, no sorrow, and of the increase of His government and peace, There will be no ends, no more oppression, no more war, no more injustice for anyone, not for Jew and not for the engrafted. How that translates into our moment, into this time and space that we occupy right now, is that even while we wait for the final reveal of the kingdom, Listen, you and I have the presence of the kingdom now in in this space by faith. We have these works of the kingdom, the freedom from oppression, the casting down of demons, the healing that we can access by faith. And at the same time, you and I live in the tension of the not yet. The full reveal has not occurred. We have the kingdom in some senses and yet we're still waiting for it all to come into its fullness which means we still see suffering, pain, oppression, and the like just like they did see he said that the kingdom of god was near them he was telling them that he was the embodiment of the kingdom and it was near them and it was breaking into their world and yet they knew that all around them there was all kinds of sin and disease and sickness we even see when he goes into places that are essentially the hospitals of their day and sometimes there is one that he goes in and heals but it doesn't mean that everybody got up i I always hate that that silly response people well if somebody really has the gift of healing why don't they go into a hospital and heal everybody well, well, maybe because Jesus isn't doing that today, because Jesus didn't do it then. It's not a rational argument. The kingdom of God is breaking in, and sometimes we see the kingdom of God come into our lives in just absolutely miraculous ways, and we go. Man, there's the kingdom of God. And sometimes we watch as someone who deeply loves Jesus, who is a devoted follower of Christ, stands strong in the midst of trial and suffering, and we go, What? There is the kingdom of God. I'm longing for that day when no one dies. Aren't you? Longing for the day where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow. But in the interim, you and I live in this world of the now and the not yet. And when we see the miraculous happen, when we see deliverance, we go, there's the kingdom. And when we watch people of faith stand strong in the midst of those trials, those difficulties, those circumstances, we go, there's the kingdom. And what we recognize is that this kingdom is unlike the kingdoms of the world. It doesn't just simply come in, knock down the door, and take everyone captive and say, this is the way it is, and you will do it my way or else. Instead, the kingdom of God comes secretly it comes in through the works and the the changing of people, we become then the evidence of the kingdom as it works in us and through us. So sometimes we're the delivered man and we're saying, God has delivered me from my my illness. God has delivered me from my demons. God has delivered me from this ailment, from this physical problem. And other times we become the people uh, who simply say, listen, God has been with me in the midst of it and I see his hand of strength, his power in the midst of it and that i am able but our lives become the continual testimony of what god is doing in the world our expectation is that god is at work and we've been called into his kingdoms as ambassadors in this world and we extend the refuge of the kingdom the good news of the kingdom whenever wherever we are invited amen Amen. Well, we are out of time, so let's stand together. I to ask the prayer team go ahead and come on up. You and I live in a a world that is still very much fallen, and yet we see evidence of God at work in our world. We see not only in terms of miraculous things and of deliverance and and healing and and hope, but also we see that God at work in His world just simply sustaining His world, that He loves uh, the people of the earth, that He has tarried and purposely given time for us to respond to the good news that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a a continual invite. Many times, you know, though we as the people of God, uh, people who have responded to his call, uh, tend to then uh, think of the gospel as something for everyone else, as grace for people who are on the outside, and we forget our own need in the midst of it. Or maybe we dismiss it. Maybe we find reasons and we say, well, other people need more healing. Other people need more strength. Other people need more of this, more of that. And and so we're kind of quick to dismiss our own need in the midst of it. And so I just simply want to make the invite today. If you're here and uh, you you need, uh, maybe it's physical healing. Uh, Maybe it's social emotional like baggage that you've been carrying since you've been with jesus that maybe the enemy has used shame or other tactics to uh, oppress you to bring you to a place where you feel like you have no testimony nothing to share nothing to give maybe it's the demonic maybe there are things going on in your life that you just can't even begin to explain losing track of large segments of time things happening uh, maybe even participating in things that you would not otherwise participate in that you think that you should not be and yet you find yourself uh, maybe awakening post the moment uh, finding yourself in a situation that you don't remember how you got there i want to invite you to come and get some prayer today maybe Maybe it's something else entirely that we haven't even mentioned today, but you you feel yourself as maybe being unworthy, undeserving. I want to invite you to come get some prayer. I I truly believe that it is the heart of the Lord to meet you in the midst of your situation. And so let me invite you to come and get some prayer. And uh, otherwise, may your day be full of grace and expectation. Father, we come before you now as uh, we uh, prepare ourselves to go out from this place uh, into our community, uh, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, to bring forth the testimony of your goodness and grace. And I pray, Father, that if any of us finds ourselves in that place where we're uncertain of your goodness and your grace, that we would not wait for the moment, uh, that we would not simply wait to be seen but that we would have a heart very much like Jairus, a, a heart very much uh, like, the, uh, like this woman or like the man uh, in the Gerasenes, that we would press in and seek your hope, your deliverance, that we would ask and not wait. to. Uh, that we know that you know us and that you love us. And so we press in with a sense of expectation that you will meet us there. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you next week. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you did, there's two things you could do for me. First, subscribe to our channel. That way, the most recent podcast will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And secondly, if this ministry has impacted you, would you help us to continue to reach others by clicking on the link in the description to give now? Until next time, thank you so much for listening to the Empowered Word.